ourselves to the Father again we thank you for your mercy and your grace and just as we open your word together Lord that you will illuminate those that you would want us to illuminate into our minds and our hearts for your work and for your glory in Jesus name Amen Amen Thank you Ernie Good morning everyone So time check is 10.14 and a special welcome to everyone. Some have been on holiday or traveling. Bejo and Betty and the family, welcome back. And Robbie and Bev, I haven't seen you all year, so brother and sister, welcome. And anybody who's visiting or uh, back from holidays, we welcome you today. We're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 today. Continuing our series, and uh, today we're going to read one of my father's favorite verses to me, and one of my favorite replies to my father. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Four verses but they are verses that are very full of instruction for us and very relevant to us today. In fact, the subject of family life and parenting, I guess you could say, is a, a bit of a hot potato. Some people um, prefer not to talk about it. Some people find it somewhat personal or prickly. Some people find it a bit... Uh, threatening, but God's word is very clear to us and definitely the subject of family life is very important to God and also very important to us as a church family, as believers. Some years ago on the mission field I was talking to some uh, elders and local church leaders and suggested to them that perhaps they consider a series on family life and parenting. And they looked at me and said, well, brother, that's a good idea, but you know what? Nobody's willing to talk about it. So we never had that series on parenting. And so we come today to a topic that for some is quite threatening. Maybe it's because it reflects on us so, so personally our families reflect on us as parents. Maybe it's because it reveals us. Our family life reveals the personal, private side of our lives and it makes us vulnerable. And there's a tension there. Uh, our children can be our greatest fans, but also our biggest fears in life. And so we come to this very important topic. Mark Twain, the U.S. humorist, reportedly said about 
father-son relationships. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was amazed at how much the old man had learned in seven years. It was also said of Mark Twain that uh, he said of teenagers, well, when a child turns 12, he should be kept in a barrel and fed through the bunghole. Until he reaches the age of 16, at which stage you plug up the bunghole. So, family life, two groups of people, parents and children, and two sets of instructions. Children obey and honour. Fathers don't exasperate, but bring up. So those two sets of instructions are very, very important and interrelated, and we're going to think more about them this morning. Just one more reading before we, we go back to Ephesians 6. Please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Just turn that screen. Reading from the New King James, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, and so on. Disobedient to parents in the last days. And then also in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 to 14, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 to 14, the words of Agar, he says this, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth. And so the writer says, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. How sad, how solemn, but also how true. And so we are living in days of difficulty where the family as a unit is under attack. And the truth of family life, biblical Christian family living, is being compromised and disdained because of a generation that has not been taught what God says. So back to Ephesians 6, the Bible says very clearly, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So what is obedience? What is this old-fashioned word that seems to be not very PC and so often forgotten, often considered outdated and irrelevant? What is obedience? Obedience to obey is to do what you're told, to carry out an instruction. But uh, we're just going to have a look at a little clip and we'll just tease out a bit more about obedience. It's routine. You think you can do it? 
see. Back up, back up, back, back, back up. Sit down. Stay. Crawl. Stay. Back. Slow. 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 Stay. Slow. Stay. Turn around. Turn the other Step. One more step. Don't you look at it. Back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. Get close. Wait. Sit. Take a sneak peek. Back up, back up, back up. Get close. Wait. Back up. Get close. Back up. Get close. Back up. Get close. Stay. You can touch it if you want, but you cannot get it. Alright, you might start counting. Stay. I'm gonna count to three. Only when I say three, you can get it. You understand? Here we go. One, two, two and a half, four, fifty, eighty. Alright, let's go back. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Good boy. Good boy. So what is obedience? Obedience is not just to do what you're told. Now, I want to give you three elements of obedience to help us understand the process. Obedience, firstly, involves respect. Starts off with respect. Some sort of relationship, some sort of authority. There is submission to that authority. So you think of a, a teacher and a student but particularly you think of a child and a parent, there needs to be an understanding of the relationship, the God-given relationship which requires respect. There will be trust. There will be submission. There may even be fear or resentment, but we'll get back to that later on when we talk about fathers. But let's just remember that obedience starts with respect. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And if there's no respect, how can we expect our child to obey us? Secondly, the word obedience, the word obey, is literally meaning to hear and to follow. All right? So obedience involves listening. Obedience will not happen if our child is not hearing a message from the parent. And that also brings implications for us as parents. But obedience starts with respect and relationship. It requires a listening ear, listening attentively, hearing just like we hear the school announcements and we follow. We read the road code and then we hopefully obey on the road. So in the home, obedience involves 
listening attentively. And finally, the third thing, obviously, obedience is expressed in action. Just like we saw in the clip, obedience is expressed in doing. And therefore, it is not just relating, it's not just hearing, it is action and doing. So, why obey? It sounds boring. Maybe a bit legalistic, eh? Well, not necessarily if we understand the underlying moral reason. And God's word is so clear, isn't it? So, three reasons from God's word today why children need to obey their parents. Firstly, let's just pick up this little phrase, in the Lord, all right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, believers, we are speaking about Christian parenting, Christian families here. I understand in the world today where there's not a respect for God's word, that society and family life is being driven apart because of no foundation. But in this passage, we have this phrase, in the Lord. And so what I'm saying to you today is for Christians who are choosing to hear God's word and to follow it. So why do we obey? Firstly, firstly, it is biblical. It is what God says. It is God's word to us today. Children, obey your parents. Let's not water it down. Let's not dilute it. Let's not say it's irrelevant or outdated or not PC. It is God's word, God's enduring word for us, relevant, applicable, right for where we are today. It's biblical and it is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Colossians 3 tells us that it pleases God. That in itself should be sufficient reason for us. But in case it's not, let's just, again, remember why we should obey. Secondly, it's sensible. It's biblical, but it's sensible. Proverbs tells us that it's necessary. That little one that you are bringing up, you are raising to teach and to train and to steer in the right direction. You see, you look at the animal life, some animals are born and they can stand up the same day, they are self-sufficient within a few weeks, not so with the human child. That beautiful, precious life that God has entrusted to you needs training, needs steering, needs direction, and therefore it is necessary and sensible because maturity takes time. So firstly, it is biblical. Secondly, it is sensible. During January, I was, as I was preparing for this talk, I read the headline on the Waikato Times, and there was that sad headline, three-year-old in Tokoroa run over. What happened was that little child had got out, got into the car which was parked on a slope, played with the handbrake, released the handbrake, and then tried to escape a moving vehicle with tragic consequences. Well, we feel very sorry for the family. We don't know the circumstances, but this is an example of why it is simply common sense for children to obey your parents. The third thing I want to point out, for the sake of our children this morning and also to encourage us as parents, the third thing, not only is it biblical and sensible, but thirdly, it is valuable. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. It is valuable. There is a reward. There is a God-given, God-stated reward for children 
obeying parents. Honour is a word that means to place a value on something, to actually honour it as a prize, to revere and to treasure. And the promise that is stated here is taken right from Exodus 20, right from the Ten Commandments where God promised the children of Israel, honour your father and mother and it will go well for you on the earth. That same promise is stated here clearly for us in Ephesians chapter 6. Notice, of course, that the context is spiritual blessing. We've been reading about that in Ephesians 1, the spiritual blessings. We're not saying that if you are an obedient child, you'll be a millionaire. But spiritually, you could well be more than a millionaire because of the reward of obedience. So it's valuable. There's a treasure and there's a reward. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 to 23 says this. Do not forsake your father's command or the law of your mother. Bind them on your heart. Tie them round your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. That command is a law, a lamp, and the law a light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. It's valuable. Young person today, if you are debating whether it is worth the bother and the effort and the commitment to obey and respect your parent in the Lord, let me tell you right now that that step of obedience will bring you a wonderful eternal reward, which is God-given and eternal. And so, what is obedience? It is following an instruction by respect, by hearing and by doing. And why do we obey? Because it's biblical, because it's sensible, and because it's valuable. Some years ago, I was working on a farm on the west coast of the South Island, and when I arrived at a place called Ahaura, a friend, Len Smith, who now lives in Matamata, said, I want to warn you that there's two dogs that you're going to have to work with, two sheep dogs. One called, one's called Joe and one's called Tom. And uh, I need to tell you a few things about the dogs before you start. Joe is a very good dog, very experienced, very, very skillful sheep dog. But you know what? He's a one-man dog. So he only obeys Len's instruction, not the worker's instruction. I said, okay, that's fine, we'll, we'll get on well. Tom, the other dog, he's a mutt. He's got no brains, he's very willing, very keen, but he's not a very skillful dog. I said, all right, we'll, we'll do what we can because that, that will click well with me as a farmer. So anyway, first few weeks went well and I was with Len most of the time and watched Len and Len would say to Joe, he would just, Len would just go like this as he was driving, Joe, and Joe would shoot up round and round up those sheep and cattle, incredible. Sit down, Joe, come back, round. And Tom was trying to learn and occasionally Len would say, Tom, and Tom would jump out and race over and grab the sheep by the neck and, no, 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 Tom, no, no, down, 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 down. And so it went on. One of those dogs was hearing. One of those dogs was not obeying. 
Which one was which? Joe was the one that was hearing. He was obeying his master's voice. Tom was not actually hearing. He was trying to obey. The day came when Len said, now is your chance to go out on your own and bring the sheep in. You better take Tom because Joe won't obey you. And then he softened. He said, all right, you take both. Take, take both dogs. That's all right. So took Joe and Tom and thought, well, we'll give it a go. Joe, and Joe was off like a rocket. Absolutely incredible, brilliant. Way round the paddocks and started to round them up. And then suddenly he stopped and sat there. And I had to trudge over, get the sheep in, and, and I can tell you to this day, I'm sure Joe was laughing at me. Had his mouth open, just laughing. So the next time I took Tom, and with Tom, what you had to do is say, Tom, stop, stop, stop. And so he would run and then screech to a halt, run and then screech to a halt. Two dogs, but their obedience was so contrasting. And so children today, how do we rate in our obedience? Do we appreciate our parents? And when we hear their voice, do we choose to obey and follow? Now, verse 4 tells us the other side. And I'm sure that for children, it is always a comfort after hearing verse 1 spoken about to hear verse 4. Verse 4 says this, You fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I've sometimes wondered why it just says fathers here. The word actually in the Greek can be used for parents, both mothers and fathers. But here in most of the Bibles that we read today, it is the word used as fathers, translated as fathers. And I think that's a reminder for us as dads that parenting definitely involves fathers in the mix. And also it's probably fair to say that parenting comes very instinctively and readily to the mother, and maybe the fathers need reminders more and more. Maybe fathers need more and more reminding. I pause this morning just to comment that some of us have very sad memories of our fathers, of our earthly fathers. And um, for those in that category, may we be encouraged and comforted today to realize that the Heavenly Father, the God of heaven, makes no mistakes. He is faithful and he is a very faithful father. So today, as we speak about fathers, I need to just comment on the power of influence of a father. The fact that the father has a huge influence and bearing on the life and outcome and behavior of the child. Now, this is not just anecdotal. This is actually proven fact, scientific, obvious. Of course, the Bible tells us about the ways of the kings, and we read about the sons who did what was right and did what was wrong, and they followed in the ways of their fathers. You see? So a father will, will pass on generationally behavior, attitudes, and beliefs. Most of us have never seen the heart of a child. Most of us have not been in a laboratory. I've 
I've done a few dissections over the years, and I've brought along today something that will just illustrate the uh, perhaps the heart of a child. You see, the heart of a child is in many ways like this piece of equipment from a computer. You can't see much in that, but when I turn it around, that is actually the hard drive of a computer. And I've dissected a lot of these with the children. When you buy a hard drive in a shop, they will tell you that that hard drive is unformatted. That means there is nothing written on that disk. That disk there is shiny and clean and it spins. But on that disk, in this corner here, there's several things going on. But in this corner here, there's a very, very, very strong magnet. It's all part of the storage process and the retrieval process, and there's an index going on, and this little device here will point. So when you open a file, it will know whether to go there or there or whatever. Bijo probably can tell us more about it. A shiny disk, very, very impressionable. And on that is a very, very strong magnet. Now the point I'm making is this, that your precious child's heart is like a blank disk. And it is storing memories and behavior and patterns and impressions over and over again. It's not as simple as rewriting and reformatting a hard drive because your child's heart will forever store memories. Memories of behavior, memories of responses, memories of conversation. Whatever it is, that is a picture of a child's heart. In a child's heart, there is what we would call a moral code. And therefore, we need to have, as parents, an objective in our parenting. The objective of our parenting is to provide, in the Lord, guidance in terms of a moral code. What is the objective of parenting? Is it security? Well, that's important. Is it peace at any price? Is it prosperity? No, Ephesians tells us earlier on the objective of parenting is maturity. That we be no more children. That we grow up. And therefore, as parents, as fathers, let us never forget our God-given responsibility. You see, the child is watching the father. Obviously, watching the mother as well. But the child is listening and will copy the behavior and responses of the Father. Paul was writing to believers who were in a context of fairly harsh fathering. The typical Roman father was distant and remote, harsh, probably inconsistent, and even violent. The Roman father had the power of death in the home. The Roman father could say, Eliminate that child. Often the father of the time was absent from home for various reasons. 
So you get the picture. The reason why Paul is writing this way to fathers, fathers do not provoke your children to what wrath. There's three typical types of fathering we can note. One is foolish fathering. Here we have it, provoking children to wrath. This is foolish. This is foolish fathering. What is it provoking? Provoking means to exasperate, to annoy, to tease, to taunt, to discourage. And the result is frustration and fear. But Paul says this, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Typically at that time, they would have what was called a paedagogue for the children, a Greek slave called a paedagogue. And this word to bring up in the nurture and admonition is the same word. The Greek slave would take the child and would do everything for them, make sure they had lunch, make sure they had their books, make sure they had their satchel, watch over them on the street, tutoring them, training them, coaching them, taking time to be their mentor and advisor. That is the picture of fathering. Foolish fathering exasperates. And then you have what we could call the feeble father. And this is the father who is silent. This is the father who is not committed to the God-given responsibility. Like Eli, he is shrugging his shoulders, frustrated, admitting that his children are out of control. Fathers, do you know where your child is today? Do you know what they are doing? Do you know what they are reading? Do you know what they are listening to? Do you know who their friends are? This is the, this is the principle of fathering that is in this chapter. To steer and to set boundaries and to guide children in the way. I once talked to a father in Papua New Guinea who used to count to ten when his children were doing the wrong thing. I'll count to ten and then what will happen? And one day I said to him, have you ever considered reducing your count? And he looked at me. I said, why don't you actually start reducing the count to from 10, come down to 3, and then maybe come down to 1, and then maybe not count at all? You see, feeble fathering is passive. It is failing to take responsibility and control. Three principles of fathering from the scriptures today. Three principles for effective parenting. First of all, attention. The need to listen and communicate more. Psalm 103 says this, Like as a father cares for his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Psalm 103 verse 13. The father who is faithful is a father who knows and attends to their children's needs and their stages. They are sensitive to the needs of the child. They are awake to what they are thinking and doing. They are aware of the differences in the home and between each child, but they are tender towards the child. Attention. Secondly, affection. This is a forgotten word so often in physical punishment. Hebrews 12 teach, teaches us about chastising. Speaks to us about physical punishment. The rod of correction. But you know what? Everywhere we read about the rod of correction in Scripture, the chastening involves love. Affection. Parenting is not brute force and violence. It is affection coming through because we love 
the child. Because we are so attentive to their needs, we choose to correct, even if it involves something physical. Affection, physical punishment, yes. Thirdly, affirmation. The need to praise more. The Duke of Wellington was a British military leader and he was the one who defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. He was not an easy man to work with. He was brilliant, he was demanding, and he was not one to shower praise on his people. Towards the close of his life, in his old age, a young lady asked him what, if anything, he would do differently if he had his life over again. What would you choose to do differently? And Wellington thought for a moment, and he replied, I would give more praise. I'd give more praise. You see, affirmation in parenting is so important. The need for encouragement. The need for us to recognize that in every child there is frailty, there's weakness, there's foolishness even, and to wrap arms around that child, to show them their attention, to show them their affection, and to give them that praise and affirmation that they need because every child's heart will shrivel if all they hear all the time is no, no, don't, no. Brian Goodwin was telling us a story at Lake Learning Camp just a few weeks ago. He spoke about how he was a young man, age 17 or 18, and an older man in the assembly said to him, you know what, Brian, you'll never be a preacher. And Brian Goodwin at the time, a young man, he was starting to preach more and the feedback was something he never forgot. And one Friday night he, he preached and the, this older man said to him a few weeks later, you know what, you didn't do too bad considering. A few years later Brian Goodwin went to the mission field and most of us know our brother and he's a wonderful preacher. But the word of praise the word of encouragement, how it lifts up the soul, how it encourages a child in their behavior. Benjamin West was trying to be a good babysitter for his little sister, Sally. And while his mother was out, Benjamin found some bottles of colored ink and proceeded to paint Sally's portrait. And by the time Mrs. West returned, ink blots stained the table, the chairs, and the floor, and Benjamin's mother looked at the mess without a word, and then she saw the picture. Picking it up, she exclaimed, Why, that is Sally! And she bent down and she kissed her young son. When he was 25 years old, that man, Benjamin West, was selected to be the painter for King George III of England. He became one of the most celebrated artists of his day and commenting on his start as an artist he said my mother's kiss made me a painter wonderful the words of praise and encouragement did far more than a rebuke could ever do and so the writer says fathers don't provoke don't exasperate but rather bring them up in the training and admonition of the lord Bring them up literally means to take the time 
to steer them. It takes time. Maturity takes time. Training takes time. The word admonition is a word that means to warn and to guide. Again, it takes time. And there's a word there that's often used in our translations. It's the word nurture. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What is that word nurture? It literally means to feed. It means to come alongside, to actually feed them, to encourage them, to build them up so that they are on the road to maturity and development in the Lord. So Ephesians 6 verses 1 to 4 is for us today. In a world of rebellion, in a world of division and disobedience, it's a call for us as Christian families to be different and God-centered and to walk as children of light. Two groups of people, children and fathers, two sets of instructions to obey and honor, and we've had the reasons and what that might mean, and also to not exasperate, but to bring up. And it's for us to choose to be faithful in all that we do in our home and family life. The Lord Jesus said of the children, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And so we have this wonderful privilege in the home to model heaven's purposes, to show forth God's love because God is the Heavenly Father and he loves his children and he wants us as families to be united and strengthened and growing for his glory. The Lord bless us as we move into worship and continue in our family lives.